Thanks, Evan. Shabbat Shalom. How's everyone doing? All right. You look good. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> All right. You said it. Let's go Mets, I guess. You know, <laughs> I could say that. Um, let's pray. Just want to uh, speak to us for a few minutes today and um, see what the Lord would say. Amen. Elohe Avraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov, Elohe Yeshua, Mishikenu. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, God of Yeshua, our Messiah, we come before you today, Abba, eager to hear from your truth, that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives and help us, Lord, to be effective in these days for your kingdom and glory. We ask it, Peshem Yeshua, and everyone said, Amen. Um, I know you're going to be amazed. If you listened last week, or came last week, I think it was the first time in 25 years I actually thought I had a good title for a message. Because I'm not great on titles. But I think I got two in a row. Yeah, this week too, I'm entitling this message, The Days of Noah Reloaded. Um, and this week's Parsha, entitled Noah, um, is rich with imagery about Messiah. Matter of fact, I um, read uh, in some Jewish writings about this Parsha, and they said that this Parsha had the most allusions to the Messiah than any other Parsha uh, of the year, the Parsha of Noah. And so um, we are living in a time very similar to Noah if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And with that taking into consideration, I want to look at this week's Parsha in light of the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant, because the New Covenant writers and Yeshua himself, as we just read, comment on Noah. And so um, someone broke it down and said this, the action in the Parsha of Noah progresses in four stages. Noah receives detailed instructions from God as to how to ensure his survival and then carries out these instructions to the letter, right, in the building of the ark. And I don't know if you saw um, in um, some news feed that I'm a part of that they actually think they found Noah's ark. Now, we've said that many times, but they had pictures. It was just interesting that, again, uh, this week being Parsha Noah, and here we have in the news feed, uh, again, Noah's Ark uh, right before us. So then the uh, flood is unloosed or unloosed and with all its intended devastation in chapter 7. And third, the flood comes to its appointed end. And then finally, the harmony between God and humanity is restored and the reordering of the world is decreed, Right? Now, it's amazing to me that in all of the Tanakh, this takes place within six chapters, right? God creates, and we talked about God, the creator, last week, and how powerful and absolutely magnificent is the Lord. And in chapter six already, he's destroying everything and kind of starting over. Have you ever wondered why God brought such devastation so quickly upon the earth? I would venture to say it is because of the level of evil and defilement that had befell the earth. Now hear these words. 
I want you, as we go through this message, I hope you could clearly see parallels to the day and age in which we live. Um, Just to give a little context to this Parsha, I want us to back up a little to the beginning of the chapter. And um, I want us to look at verses 1, 2, and 4 just for the sake of time. Um, Because I think they're really important and I think they'd be interesting to you as well, by the way, because if you're a student of Scripture like I am, these particular verses of Scripture always uh, intrigued me. And I've studied them for many years and I've thought different things about them and I think I've settled on, uh, you know, my own interpretation, which I think is a good one in my own opinion. (laughs) But let's read it. In In the beginning of the chapter, it says, In time, when men began to multiply on earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God in the Hebrews, B'nai Elohim, saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then it says um, in verse 4, the Nephilim, and that word Nephilim means fallen ones. It's also been known to mean fallen angels. So the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God, B'nai Elohim, came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the ancient heroes men have known. What's going on? If you ever wonder why the flood came to this earth, what you have taking place is you have um, angelic beings mixing with human DNA. And God, to preserve a pure gene pool needs to do something pretty drastic. The Brit Chadashah also speaks of these verses. And let me read in Kepha Bet, chapter 2 and verse 4. For God did not spare the angels who sinned. On the contrary, he put them in gloomy dungeons, lower than Sheol, to be held for judgment. Then in Yehuda, chapter, verse 6, It says, and the angels that that did not keep within their original authority but abandoned their proper sphere, he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for the judgment of that great day. Now, um, Stern writes about those passages and he says this, and he's quoting from 1st Enoch. Now, I want to say this. When you see in the book, the the Brit Hadashah, certain books quoted, Okay, they might not obviously be included in the canon of Scripture, but it doesn't mean that everything in them is wrong. For instance, we know, right, that the non-canonical books of like Maccabees, for instance, provide some historical truths that you and I know to be true, right? But yet there's other things in them that aren't right, but there are some things that are true. Well, in the same way, the Brit Chadashah alludes to First Enoch, And look at what it says. The watchers called and said to me, Enoch, scribe of righteousness, go declare to the watchers of heaven who have left the high heaven, the holy eternal place. Or let me preface, let me back up. This is Stern's comments. 
In these descriptions, Kepha and Yehuda are not using their imagination, but drawing on elaborations of the Genesis narrative, which can be found in earlier Jewish writings, such as one Enoch. Okay. So the watchers called and said to me, Enoch, scribe of righteousness, go declare to the watchers of heaven who have left the high heaven, the holy eternal place, and have defiled themselves with women and have done as the children of people do and have taken for themselves wives. You have caused great defilement on the earth. You will have neither peace nor forgiveness of sin. Enoch went and said to the leader of the rebellious watchers, Azazel, You will have no peace. A severe judgment has gone forth against you. They will put you in bonds. Now, if you remember or don't remember, a few years back I spoke on Yom Kippur about Azazel and tying Azazel to Hasatan. So if you're curious, go back to that message because these are some of the things that we see here. So let me continue on. And the Lord said to Raphael, bind Azazel hand and foot and cast him into the darkness. Make a pit in the desert in the Dudael and throw him in it. Hurl rough jagged rocks on him. Cover him with darkness. Let him dwell there forever and cover his face so that he won't be able to see light. On the day of the great judgment, he will be cast into the fire. So we see here in Noah, uh, the Parsha Noah, and in this uh, account in Bereshit 6, that something drastic needed to be done because of the defilement and the level of sin that has now come to impact God's creation. God needs to do something unprecedented, right? Now enters Noah. Because God, not willing to let Hasatan win. Hear me out. Okay, Hasatan, okay, the accuser, um, he's known, um, we we could see throughout the scriptures, I just read from a Jewish uh, literary source, we see that these uh, fallen angels or fallen beings, as I was reading, I didn't include everything, I, I, I couldn't, it was just too much information to convey to you, but the rabbis talk about these fallen beings being totally deprived and evil. And so God, not wanting to pollute his creation further and to be able to spare it and to rebuild, because isn't that what God is in the business of doing? He is called Adonai Goelenu, the Lord our Redeemer. He's a God who redeems. So he's not going to throw away the earth. Instead, He has a plan, and he's going to redeem the earth, and he's going to redeem humankind. Enter Noah, Bereshit 6 and 9. Here is the history of Noah. In his generation, Noah was a man righteous and wholehearted. Selah. Noah walked with God. Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yefet. The earth was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. The Hebrew word there is Hamas. Interesting, though. Listen. I read an article from an Israeli uh, uh, news source that said Israeli leaders are connecting ISIS and Hamas. Now, 
ISIS is popping up all over the earth. Right? It's popping up all over. It's in our country, popping up. Violence popping up. Hamas, that connection. And isn't it interesting, comparing the days of Noah and the days that we're living in today with violence, Hamas popping up all over the earth. I mean, guys... I don't know, have you in your lifetime seen the things that you see that you could go on the internet and see believers' heads sawed off? That is evil to the next level. You and I in our generation could see this. So think about this. Look what's going on in Israel today. And the increase, right, of the violence against our people. God saw the earth, and yes, it was corrupt, for all living beings had corrupted their ways on earth. God said to Noah, the end of all living beings has come before me, for because of them the earth is filled with violence. I will destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark. So, in contrast to the pervasive, sin-filled world in which Noah lived, Noah was righteous, and so we too are to live righteously. We as believers in Yeshua have been empowered to live a righteous life and to live it out in front of the world. Look what it says in Kepha Aleph 3. For the Messiah himself died for sins once and for all, a righteous person on behalf of unrighteous people, so that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but brought to life by the Ruach, and in this form he went and made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago in the days of Noah, when God waited patiently during the building of the ark in which a few people, to be specific, eight, were delivered by means of water. This also prefigures what delivers us now, the water of immersion, the coming to faith in Yeshua, which is not the removal of dirt from the body, okay, which is uh, Tevilah, but one's pledge to keep a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah, he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. In Kephibet, it says, And he did not spare the ancient world. On the contrary, he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, and brought the flood upon the world of ungodly people. Do you see what's happening? We see it in Bereshit chapter 6, and we see it here in the Brit Chadashah. God is making a distinction, a separating, if you will, of the righteous and the unrighteous. Right. Like Noah, God is looking for us to live the right way in the midst of a very ungodly world. There are several things that come to my mind. The first being is that we must live in Messiah Yeshua because he is Adonai Tzikenu, right? The Lord, our righteousness. Friends, you don't have 
righteousness on your own. What makes you righteous? Certainly not good deeds. The scripture says our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. So enter Yeshua, right? He is the one who makes us righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Messiah. The imagery of Yochanan 15, right? Abiding in the vine. 1 Corinthians tells us it is his doing. You hear that? It is his doing that you are united with the Messiah Yeshua. He has become wisdom for us from God and righteousness and holiness and redemption as well. He is those things for us. Do you hear me? Now, yes, we live righteously in that we do the best we can. Learning of his ways, following his ways. But we are only righteous before God because we are in Messiah. Secondly, we are to be proclaimers of righteousness by declaring the Besorah to all who will hear. The scripture says, he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness. If you read in the rabbinic commentaries, they go back and forth about Noah. Okay, now that's why you shouldn't really read rabbinic commentaries because they say things that are contrary to the clear um, interpretation of scripture. So they'll say things about Noah that Noah wasn't really all that righteous. Um, He was just the most righteous uh, at the time, but he wasn't really all that in a bag of chips. Okay? Um, But that's not what the scripture says, does it? It says that he was righteous and he followed God. And how could you be any more righteous than this? Wholeheartedly. Right? And that should be our prayer, that we would follow God wholeheartedly. And Noah, it tells us from this passage in the Brut Kaddishah, that Noah was not just building his ark for his family. Now God said, and I read this very carefully several times, looking at the Hebrew, God said, go build yourself an ark. Right? He said that to Noah. Go build yourself for you and your family. God didn't say go build an ark for everyone. Go build yourself an ark because Noah was found righteous. But Noah, what did Noah do? Did he just say, well, it's just going to be my eight and no more? It's just going to be me and the animals God sends me? It says in this passage, and we know from other writings, that the feeling is that Noah was a herald of righteousness. Not only by his actions of obeying God and building an ark, which we'll get into in a second, but that he was a proclaimer of the righteousness of God, causing and desiring people to turn from their ways, that they too would be saved from this impending flood. Rashi in Midrash Tanchuma says this, God has many ways to save someone. Why did he make Noah toil to build the ark? In order that people of his generation should see him occupied with the task for 120 years, and then they should ask him, why are you doing this? And he would tell them that God is bringing a flood upon the world. Perhaps this would cause them to repent. 
God is in the business of saving. You know, the whole year we had um, Shemitah, we had all these crazy things, people, and the same. Um, and it's not uh, about the book. I love John Kahn, he's a great guy. Uh, he's a mensch. But me and, and my wife marveled not at any of those things, but that the people of God are fascinated to talk about judgment. Do you realize that? He didn't give us a message of judgment. He gave us a message of salvation. Yeah, now you might mention judgment in that message, but primarily what God has given us, what is it called? The good news. For mankind. So Noah, while he's building this ark, is telling good news. You and I should not be preoccupied. I'm going to give you a warning today of this, that we need to be prepared. We're living in terrible times. But in the midst of terrible times, you and I are the only people that have good news. Do you hear me? Friend, turn on CNN, Fox Channel 247, ain't a whole lot of good news to be spread around. But you and I have it. Could you imagine Noah having the only vessel that could save lives from destruction and him keeping that to himself? Of course you couldn't. So remember, now realize this. Noah is building this ark for 120 years. It's a saying. Leave that with you. How long we've been serving God? We think we're doing great. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. 120 years. Faithful. Noah. But consider what he built. He has an ark. It had three levels. The door was in the middle level. And so we have Ha'aba Haben Haruach HaKodesh. Yeshua said, I am the door. Anyone who enters has to enter through the door. Yeshua, in essence, and that's why we see a connection, P.S. The days of Noah, the Parsha that most references Messiah. I had quote after quote after quote of the rabbis talking about redemption and Mashiach about this Parsha. And we have Yeshua, who is the ark of our salvation, in which and through whom we must enter into a relationship with God, who says, I am the door. He is the ark in which we could find rescue. In Yochanan 10.9, Yeshua says, I am the door. Anyone who enters by me will be saved. So think of that. Live righteously. We provoke people two ways. By the life that we live, being salt and light, right, to the world. 
and by a proclamation of the good news. Yeshua, I mean, Noah didn't just build the ark. He was a proclaimer of righteousness. You and I, it's awesome that you live a righteous life, but you also have to be a proclaimer of righteousness. I'll tell you right now, Yeshua is the only way to God for those who believe first for the Yehudim, Jewish people, and also for the Goyim, for the nations. The next point I'd like to make is that Noah, as Noah did, we must be prepared. Say prepared. God told Noah, I will destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark. And for the next 120 years, Noah prepared for that day. Hear me. God said, build yourself an ark. And for the next 120 years, Noah did nothing else but to wake up morning to evening and build the ark to gather materials, to build tools, to repair tools, to find the things he needed to make this ark. Day in and day out, week in and week out, he built an ark, he prepared. I could only think of one really great truth that would move someone to do that, and that is faith. Faith in what God had spoken to him, right? And isn't that what the book of the Messianic Jews says in chapter 11 and verse 7? By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things yet not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You see, Noah's faith moved him to action. And he didn't think of this, just say, well, that was a good word. Because, you know, we think that God said that and that somehow God probably encouraged him every day. You know, it doesn't say that. The only encounter it shows about Noah and God is that day one encounter. God said, go build yourself an ark. Noah does it. We read the scripture often, we think, and we see seasons in the life of perhaps Avraham or David, and we think that the, when God's speaking to them, it was an everyday occurrence. Not necessarily so. When you're reading, hundreds or t- dozens of years, depending on who it is, are happening between chapters. What does that mean? That these men of God got a word from God, and acted on it and did not look back. They put their hands to the plow and didn't wonder every 10 minutes and every 10 years in Noah's case and say, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing, God. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. God, maybe I should stop. He's going on the word of the Lord. God spoke it and he did it faithfully day in and day out for 120 years. One commentator points out seven things we could learn from Noah's faith in God so that you and I could be prepared like Noah. I want to tell you this. I'm going to say it till the last breath I have because it's true. Faith, okay, is the currency of heaven. You want things in exchange between heaven and earth, it takes faith. That is what it needs. Do you, do you ever wonder, have you struggled with your faith this year? 
The enemy comes in, brings hardship your way, struggle your way, challenges your way. What is immediately challenged is your faith. Gee, I wonder if that's by design or on accident or just happenstance. No, it's by design. Because the enemy knows if he could take your faith, he's got everything else you need. You need faith. So the first thing we learn here of Noah's faith is its ground, what it's based on, namely God's word. Being warned of God, and so we too have been warned from God's word, right? And I want to read you a passage that we just read in our service so far. But when that day and hour will come, no one knows. Say that again, no one knows. Not the angels of heaven, not the Son, only the Father. For the Son of Man's coming, comma, the Son of Man's coming is a reference to the divinity of the Messiah. Just because Son of Man is a reference to his divinity. So, when the Son of Man comes... For the Son of Man's coming will be just as it was in the days of Noah. Surprise, surprise. Back then, before the flood, people went on eating and drinking, taking wives and becoming wives. Right up until the day Noah entered the ark. And they didn't know what was happening until the flood came and swept them all away. It will be, listen, just like that. When the Son of Man comes. Exactly like that. People will be living their life, and tell me if you bear witness to this, oblivious to God. Do you find that to be true? People living their life oblivious to God in his reality. It will be just like that in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Then there will be two men in a field. One will be taken, the other left behind. There will be two women grinding at the flour mill. One will be taken and the other left behind. So stay alert because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But you do know this. Had the owner of the house known when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you too must always be ready for the Son of Man will come when you are not expecting him. Wow, what a, what a story to tell us. The story is one of preparation. Be ready, because you don't know. And sure, if you knew, you'd be ready and waiting, but that's not the way it's going to work. He's going to come in an hour of his choosing, and the only thing that we could really do to ensure that we're going with him is to be prepared. Like Noah, we can't take a day off from this preparation. What if that flood came and Noah wasn't ready? I mean, think of the implications. He has no boat. It's not ready yet because he took 50 years off. Noah got up every day and built. He was prepared. You and I need to be ready. The second thing mentioned in connection with Noah's faith is its sphere and its scope. His faith laid hold of things not seen as yet. That is of things which pertain to the realm of the unseen. 
I want to tell you something. You need to see what God sees for your life, for our families, as it pertains to healing, as it pertains to the promises of God. Friends, God has spoken things to us that, quite frankly, we cannot see with our eyes. Right? The glories of heaven, the promise of salvation. All of those things are things that are unseen. But our faith makes the unseen a reality. Right? Our faith makes the unseen a reality. As believers, it says in Corinthians that we walk by faith and not by sight. Rena mentioned it in a Hadavar Torah. The enemy would like to, you know, the enemy is a master at manipulating the world around us, of showing us things. Didn't he do that to Yeshua? He brought him up and showed him things. And those things were meant to get Yeshua to move off of what God told him to do, weren't they? So he's going to show Yeshua some things, and trust me, he's shown you some things too. And sometimes he shows us scary things, and things that will get us to back up and to back down and to slip away into unbelief. But guys, we have to be moved by what God said. And what God said is unseen in the natural but it should be a very alive in our spirit. You hear what was said today? Sing, O barren. It's the same principle. Why would a barren woman sing? She was the most disgraced of all women in the day. But God is telling her to sing and rejoice based on what I'm telling you, barren woman, not based on what you see and not based on what you feel. Based on what I'm telling you. The third place, in the third place we learn here of the character of Noah's faith, it was moved with fear. You know, fear gets a bad rap. You know, we're encouraged many times not to fear, but you know what? Sometimes fear could have a little motivating, you know, emphasis on our lives, couldn't it? Matter of fact, it says some ungodly folks will be saved because of fear. Nothing wrong with a little godly fear. Matter of fact, parents, come on. Tell me you haven't used a little bit of fear. Everyone's in a blue moon. You know, you raise your voice. You know, you put the, the fear of mom and dad in, you know, just a little bit to, just to help motivate them, right? Someone said this, faith not only relies upon the precious promises of God, but it also believes his solemn threatenings. Noah had received from God a gracious promise, but he had also been warned of a coming judgment that would destroy all living things with a flood. So he not only believed the promise, but he also believed in the warning. Friends, look at me. We're living in days that are very, very, very dark. God is serious about every single thing he wrote in his word to us. We need to be living and preparing as if the Mashiach is going to return any single 
second. Now, maybe he comes in a hundred years, a thousand, I don't know. But we're to live like he's going to come any second. But let me say this and throw this out there. Really, if Yeshua, if you knew Yeshua was coming in 10 minutes, there's a guarantee, what would you do? You knew it. He was coming in 10 minutes. And in about 15 minutes, you were going to stand before him for final judgment. What would you do? Whatever you would do then (laughs) is what you should be doing now. Because the truth is, we're not going to get 10 minutes. No. He's going to come suddenly, twinkling of an eye. And I'm going to tell you a parable in a second, and you probably already know where I'm going, but... A famous speaker said this, he who does not believe that God will punish sin will not believe that he will pardon it through the atoning blood. He who does not believe that God will cast unbelievers into Gehinnom, hell, will not be sure that he will take believers to heaven. How can you? Because God says them both. The fourth thing we see, the evidence of Noah's faith, is he prepared an ark. I'm going to read this parable quickly. The kingdom of heaven at that time will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were sensible. The foolish ones took lamps with them but no oil. Whereas the others took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now the bridegroom was late. So they all went to sleep. It was the middle of the night when the cry rang out, The bridegroom is here. Go out to meet him. The girls all woke up and prepared their lamps for lighting. The foolish ones said to the sensible ones, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both you and us. Go to the oil dealers and buy some for yourselves. But as they were going off to buy, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready, who were prepared, went with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came. Sir, sir, they cried, let us in. But he answered, indeed, I tell you, I don't know you. And so the parable ends like this. So stay alert because you know neither the day nor the hour. What a profound story. In other words, we think, and I know people think like this. Young people generally think like this. Oh, I'll get right with God someday. I have plenty of time. Friend, we don't know you have plenty of time. When he comes, they didn't even have enough time to go buy oil and come back. How long could that take? They didn't even have an hour. They didn't even have a half hour. They had not even 10 minutes. He came. He took them. He entered them into the banquet and closed the door shut. Friend, if you watch the news, whatever your source is, and don't say to yourself, I need to live my life in a prepared state, this is my question for you. Why? Fifth, we see one of the whys 
of Noah's faith. Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Who has a house that needs saving? Does anyone here have a loved one who needs to know Yeshua? That motivated Noah to build the ark too, to maintain his faith because there's people who need me. Friend, we have other motivations to live for God, to love God, and to serve God. There's people that need us too. Look what it says, because Abraham exercised faith, God gave to his seed the land of Israel because of something Abraham did. Because Rahab believed the report of the spies, her household was preserved from destruction because of something she did that caused them to get touched by God. So our faith can affect our families and loved ones and probably should be a motivating factor in our walk with God too. In other words, why should you walk and live for God and be prepared today and now? Because there are people counting on you. Sixth thing we see, we learn of the witness of Noah's faith. It says, by which he condemned the world. The witness of his faith. Could you imagine what the people that they were thinking of Noah? I mean, really. Let's face it. Noah was like a wackadoo to the world around him. You ever feel like a wackadoo to the world around you? Noah was a wackadoo. Look at this guy. I'm ringing a little bit, Anthony. Look at this guy. What is he building? He's a kook. Stay away from Noah. He's a weirdo. Man, just him and his family, they're building, they're putting black stuff on the wood. Are they crazy? He's a kook. He's talking about God, Elohim, and salvation. He's a weirdo. Noah, stay away. You ever find people say that about you? Yeah, they're probably your family. (laughs) That's all this God thing. You know, settle down. What's it all about? That's all they talk about. Let me say this question. What is faith? Listen to this. I think this is an awesome description. Faith is in every respect the antithesis of sin. Faith is also more than an act. It's an attitude. Faith is submission to God's government, a yielding to his authority, a compliance with his revealed will. Faith in God is coming to the end of myself. Faith is the spirit of entire dependency upon God. That's an awesome definition of faith. Faith is the spirit of entire dependency. If you live your life like that, that your life is utterly and totally dependent upon God, you will be a tremendous witness to the world. If you live your life as if you have little God mixed into your life and you don't really need him because you have a 401k and you got your finances in order and you got a house in the hills and you're doing well and you just mix a little bit of God into your life. Now, 
If you live as if God is and you are totally and utterly dependent upon God for everything, people are going to see that and it's going to be a witness to their life. You know, of late, you know, in my times before God, you know, I've come to, what can I do and be without God? What can I do and be without God? Nothing. Not one thing useful, not one thing beneficial. Nothing. Nothing I could do. Do you know, you know, there's times, I don't know about you, I'm only speaking from the heart, folks, where I'm watching, you know what? I, I, like I'll watch the, I was watching the ball game. Ask the rabbi how interested in baseball he is. Not that interesting. I don't watch it all year round. But I am a Mets fan. It is Jubilee. They're in the, they're in the playoffs. Baruch Hashem. It's been fun to watch. But I have to tell you, as I'm watching it, it is only distracting my mind momentarily from the aching of my soul before God. It's a little distraction. It's, it's getting my mind off of an aching soul before God that says, I'm totally and utterly dependent upon God for my life source. That God, it's great that I'm being distracted here for a second, but my goodness, I need you. I have to have you. I have to hear you. I have to move and step with you. I got to know everything. I, I need to be connected to you. And do you know, it's hard to live in that state all the time too. It's very intense. So God gives us, all right, so I have a little distraction in my mind watching the ball game, watching the picture, picture, awesome game, and you know, enjoying that for a time. But there's an aching in my soul, in my spirit, before God. That after the game, I go upstairs and it's there on my kishkas. And I'm going to bed and I'm saying, I love you, Lord. And at the end of the day, there's nothing else in this world that matters more than that statement right there. That we would say before God, God, I love you. God, I need you. God, you're my source. You're my way. You're my truth. You're my life. You are my everything. Everything else that we have, the stuff, the people in our lives, everything pales in comparison to that one truth. God and me, you and God, and your connection to him. That's why we know, I love that passage, I love that movie about Abraham. You're right, you see, I think it was a Turner film, and he's meeting Machitezek, um, uh, uh, and, and as they're meeting, and they're looking at each other, and they know it, because they know each other, they know they both know God, and he's saying, God has blessed you to Abraham, and Abraham's saying, yeah, because Abraham has all these, Abraham was like a billionaire in modern terms. Abraham was loaded. And he's looking, and Machit said that, he's going to, to Abraham, and he's saying, he's blessed you, but it means nothing. And, 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 and in the movie, he's saying, yeah, it means nothing. And he's given you this, and he's given you that, but it means nothing. And he's, it means nothing. Saying that, the stuff, the blessings, the goods, the tents, the women, the, the, the songs, the servants, mean nothing. The only thing that mattered was God. Machid said that knew God, and Abraham knew God. What is he saying? My source of joy and life and strength and being 
is God. It's not any of the things. It's not the stuff. It's not the provision. It's God. I'm happy in God. I'm content in God. I found my way in God. I'm comforted in God. Friends, it doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to good people. It doesn't mean that struggles don't come and storms don't beat the doors of your house down. Matter of fact, Yeshua tells that parable and he says, storms will come. But what does he say? But those who have built on the rock. are going to be able to stand. Those who are built on the rock. We're talking about Noah. As it was in the days of Noah. Friends, take a look. We're living in days like Noah. So it is, as the days of the coming of the Son of Man. How ought we to live? We just said, a life that's prepared a life that's ready, a life that's warning others, that's saying you too could get into the ark of Yeshua. Finally, we learn here the reward of Noah's faith is that he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. One writer said, Faith brings a present blessing. It wins God's smile of approval. It fills the heart with peace, oils the machinery of life, and it makes all things possible. You know, friends, we could sing songs about faith. All things are possible. We could read the scripture, but it has to be alive in here. It's got to be alive. It's got to be alive in here. It can't just be in here. It has to be a lot. You would not, as Jewish people, we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Abraham. Because faith was alive in Abraham. It was living in him. Real. The unseen God was as real to Abraham as it was to Moshe who saw God panim el panim. We have been brought to God through the Messiah. How connected should we be? How alive should faith be in our lives, in our hearts, through us? In the Tanya Devai, that's a Jewish writing, it says, at the time of redemption, the whole world will quake and the people will wonder, is a new flood coming on the world? God will assure them, no, this isn't a flood. Rather, I have come to make a banquet for my children and to rule over the entire world. God is returning. The Messiah is coming. He's not coming as a babe in a sukkah. He's coming as a reigning king to collect his people. To invite us in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. As with Noah, we must await the Word. Yeshua, the Word. 
It's not for us to decide that the era of Messiah has begun, a Jewish writer said. It is by God's command that we entered the ark. And it is he who will send Messiah to herald the new dawn. So we enter the ark. Who is Messiah? Who is Yeshua? Our refuge, our strength, and ever-present help in trouble. And we live and walk by faith as we declare his good news to a lost and dying world. Friend, that's what it is about. The days of Noah have been reloaded. We're living in them. Pervasive evil, wickedness beyond our wildest imaginations. Hear me. A few years back, I noticed an uptick in evil. Did you? All of a sudden, the LGBT folks are going berserk. Now, every single program on TV has that in it. Every single one can't watch anything, which is okay. And I don't know if you're noticing again, there's another uptick. There's another uptick. Every death and evil and murders, they're making shows. That's all they make now. Remember Dragnet? They knocked on the door of the house. Ma'am, could I help you? Yeah, I'm having trouble. The cat's in the tree. We'll go take care of that. Now it's gory, death, evil, violent, murder, maniacs. There's another uptick. It's going to another level. The world's bad, but Noah. (laughs) Enter Noah. Enter you. Enter your life. Enter the way you conduct yourself and live righteously in an unrighteous world. Enter you who have not only the witness of the glory of God on your life, but you have a message of good news to those who are perishing. You have it. You have the way to enter the ark of their salvation. You could show them the way, like Noah led the animals and said, here, I prepared a place for you to come and stay. Just go up to the ramp and enter in to safety for him and his family. You have that same message for the world. Do you know what I believe? I believe something I can't see. I believe that there's a day coming soon where the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. The kingdom of God is going to expand like never before, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. But guess what? He needs folks that are ready. Ready. Ready to tell. Ready to declare. Ready to lead. Lead them into the ark. Friends, I won't be surprised that one day you have your workmates starting to ask you, Hey, hey, what is this about this salvation thing? And you're going to lead them into the ark. Are you ready for it? Are you ready? I pray that you are. The world needs you. The world needs me. The world needs the message. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Behold, I am coming quickly, he said, and my reward is with me. Friends, he's coming soon. The only thing that keeps God from coming now, this second, 
is his heart of compassion for the lost. God wanting none to perish and all to come. He holds out hope to the last second that is absolutely necessary because he wants everyone to know him. Friends, let's do what God's called us and designed us to be. Amen? The light of salvation to the earth. Amen. Well, Baruch Hashem. God is good. I want to encourage you that um, in your pursuit of God in this next week, whatever you're going through, some of you are going through good things, some of you are going through challenging things, some of you are struggling, some of you are doing okay. Whichever the case is, I want you to go and find God this week like you never found him before. Find him like you never found him before. Push away every distraction, everything. that's Push it away and get in his presence. Find his comfort, his love, his strength. You know what? We say he's our source. Find him this week to be your source. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's stand and pray. When you seek me, you will be, I will be found by you, says the Lord, right? If you seek me with all your heart. Thank you, Lord. Avinu Malkinu, Father, our King. How great, how great are you? How great are you? Father, I pray for your people here, each one. Father, I know in this room there are folks struggling and hurting. People challenged beyond measure. Some people struggling with despair and hopelessness. And Father, I know this one thing, that there is hope in you. That there's hope in Yeshua. There's hope in the Messiah. And Abba, I pray that your hope would ebb into every heart, every mind. Father, that you would stir each one up from the place of discouragement to a place of joy. Father, that you would show them that all things are possible for those that believe. And there's no situation, no circumstance, no trial that can overcome us in you. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Father, I pray that, Lord, this week ahead would be a tremendous, tremendous time for people connecting with you. Father, that they would connect with you like never before. Lord, that your life, the very essence of your life would ebb into them and strengthen them to live like never before for you. We ask it in Yeshua's name. Stretch forth your hand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance 
toward you and give you his shalom. Father, I pray, Lord, for the peace that surpasses understanding to guard the heart and minds of your people in this week ahead. We ask it in Yeshua's name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thank you.